Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of sola scriptura and tota scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. You can check us out and give us your money in exchange for uh, primo products at westminstereffects.com. And make sure you hit up Facebook and join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Uh, Bradley is not with us today. He is out of town, uh, but joining me via the interwebs as always. Hello world, this is John Ross. Uh, what do I usually say? We took a week off, I don't remember. Oh yeah, Westminster Effects <laughs> artist and church nerd from Lincoln, Nebraska. And also joining us via the internet is special guest Camden Busey, who is the president of Reform Forum and host of Christ the Center. Camden, welcome to the Doxology Podcast. Thanks, Cody. It's great to great to see you both, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. We are we're really excited to have you on. I'm excited Absolutely. to have you on because I've been nerding out on Christ the Center for about two years now. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, yeah, just tell us about Reform Forum and Christ the Center, and we'll just sure. kind of get going from there. Yeah, for folks who might not know, uh, Reformed Forum is a small nonprofit organization. We started just as uh, some friends podcasting. Uh, in 2008, January 2008, so it was right on the on the verge of really early in podcasting before Apple even had a uh, you know podcasting built into their platform. You used to have to download MP3s through a third party app, or oh, or uh, at least and then, then like drag and drop them through iTunes onto an iPod if you wanted to do it that way. So it was really uh, inconvenient, but. Uh, we started talking theology, um, and, and I've rehearsed the story a, a bit of time, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, uh, if people have heard this, but I, where I came from, uh, I went to college in central Illinois, and I didn't have, when I became more and more reformed, didn't have anyone to talk theology with, really, um, at least to, to the level and, and uh, you know, on, on the topics that I wanted to speak with. But when I moved out to Philadelphia to attend seminary, I was having conversations all the time. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if we at least recorded some of these and put them online with this new technology and allowed other people to listen in? Because if you're not able to have conversations in person, I guess the next best thing is to be able to listen in on other conversations happening and, and be part of it in that way. And so we put them online and and uh, the, the short version, the short story is that really took off. And uh, we've been able, by God's grace, to put a new episode out every Friday for 11 and a half years. And so over time, the organization's grown and um, it's not a huge thing, but uh, come July 1, I'm, I'm going to be transitioning to work full time for Reform Forum doing this, the podcasting, but we do a lot of other things. Uh, we publish uh, some books and we're developing curriculum and Sunday school resources, video series. Uh, we hope to have um, some online reading and study groups and possibly some courses for people that are wanting to go to seminary but are not yet there or continuing education for officers and, and ministers in the church. So those are the kinds of areas of exploration and expansion we're, we're hoping to get into. Uh, but that's that's a real the, the, the thumbnail sketch of the organization. And I should say we're all online at reformedforum.org if anyone wants to head over there and all the podcasts and videos and everything we've done are freely available. You just download them and they're all in the archive. 
Awesome. And congratulations on on turning that into a full time gig. That's awesome. Absolutely. Well, it came as a big surprise last summer where, uh, you know, the by God's grace, you know, various uh, donors said, well, we really want to help you out. And and we've heard that you have these ideas and projects and things you'd like to do. But, um, you know, for the longest time, we haven't been able to focus on some of those things because everyone involved at Reform Forum is a volunteer and um, most all of us are ministers and pastors serving in local churches. So your reform forum ends up being third or fourth on the list after, you know, our calling and our, our families and, you know, presbytery responsibilities. And, and that's how it ought to be. But at the same time, we, we think that there's a, a place for what reform forum is doing. And, and, uh, and we feel that God's kind of moving in our, in moving us in a direction. And, uh, so he opened a door for, for us to, to be able to move forward. And we're really thankful for all of our listeners and all the people that have supported us. And we're looking forward to, to being better servants in the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, until July 1st, you're still serving as a pastor, correct? Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I'll still be at the church and serving. I'll be a minister, uh, I guess, on staff. In the OPC, we don't really have staffs because we're so small. <laughs> so it's, right now I'm a, I'm the pastor of the congregation. Our, our uh, membership is in the 70s. Uh, not the 1970s. We're, we're, you know, but the, our membership <laughs> is in the 70s, uh, uh, numbers wise. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I love it here. I love this church. It, and it's a typical kind of OP church, a lot of faithful people. And we were real focus, really focused on the ordinary means of grace. But in terms of, uh, you know, what goes on on a Sunday and, and throughout the week, you know, I, I print, I fold the bulletins, you do that stuff. And there's, you know, it's quiet here. There's, there's nobody here. We don't have any secretary or any uh, administrative assistants or worship leader mm-hmm. or anything like that. We have a lot of people helping out in a lot of ways at church, but oh, it's yeah. not, it's not, you know, what a lot of people are familiar with in terms of what a church goes on. It's just an old school kind of meat and potatoes church. And, uh, personally, that's kind of what I like. Uh, I wouldn't say that that's the right way or the wrong way. It's just kind of what I'm familiar with and what I like, but, uh, in July, I'll, um, my, my church has called me, you know, in Presbyterian polity and all, you know, the Presbytery needs to approve things and whatnot, but my church has called me to serve as an evangelist. So what, to, to explain this, at least according to our book of church order, I'll be working for Reform Forum, but my church has specifically called me and tasked me to do those labors. And in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, uh, the office of minister can be installed in three different ways. It can be pastors, evangelists, or teachers. Teachers are typically those, uh, often guys that that are professors in seminaries are, are usually ministers who are installed as a teacher to do that. Um, evangelists usually are church planters or foreign missionaries, and then pastors are what you'd expect. But under evangelists, there's also provision in a, in a way in which people working in the press or working in Christian publishing or other forms of communication can serve in an evangelistic capacity to do those kinds of things. So that's that's kind of the rationale. So I'll still be a minister serving on the session and laboring within this church. It's just my my paycheck and salary will come from Reform Forum and day to day, you know, my 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 main primary focus at work will be uh, the mission of Reform Forum to to go forth and, su- and support the church in the in the ways that she does. OK, that's that makes awesome. Sense. That's a mouthful there, but that's that's kind of how it all works. Presbyterian wise. 
<laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pop in a bit here. Coming yeah, from man. the uh, coming from the Lutheran side of things, yeah. We also we also have books in order and policy and all. Yeah, this good good. Like it. it. It sounds quite a bit like this is a way. Uh, I mean, for the church obviously to bless you and to recognize your efforts, but at the same time to keep you on the roster as an actively yeah. called right. Uh, minister of the word. And and that's something that's important in uh, in the Lutheran circles as well. Yes. To make sure that you stay on the roster. Because uh, if you don't, if you, it, it's like having car insurance. When you get new car insurance, they ask, when was the last time you had car insurance? And if you've lapsed, then there's there's some hurdles to overcome there. Mm. Well, in, in the Lutheran church, at least the LCMS, yeah. uh, we have the concept of um, Oh, what are they called? Candidate for pastoral ministry, CPM. Mm-hmm. So if an individual, an ordained minister does fall off the active roster for for an extended period of time, they'll be kind of schlepped over to this candidate for pastoral ministry status, which is kind of just hanging out. And for whatever reason, historically, those positions haven't been as appealing uh, to yeah. potential churches to consider. So I definitely understand that. And that's an yeah, awesome that can... way uh, that you guys have built in. Uh, to uh, to support and recognize that that's I hope uh, so something I'm envious of. Well, we have similar things in in our denomination where if a minister is without call, he'll be placed on the rolls of as ministers without call. We also have ministers that are serving out of bounds, and those those might it sounds like a bad thing, but those might be OP ministers who for various reasons are serving in a different congregation that are out outside of our denomination, or they're serving. It depends on the presbytery, but people who might be serving like in a nursing home or as a chaplain or something like that, that, who don't have a specific call from the presbytery to do that exact thing, they might be serving as a minister out of bounds because they're not pastoring within an agency of the church, for example. Sure. So in my case, my church is calling me, so I'll still be a, a minister with a call from one of our mm-hmm. congregations, but they're calling me for the specific task to go out and do something. And, um, and they see that that serves the purpose of the great commission uh, in terms of what I'm laboring to do and to teach and preach and proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ, just through this different form, this different medium, which is admittedly new because it's weird, you know, but uh, in a, in historically speaking, but it, I think it fits really well uh, polity wise but we do have the case in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. If a minister has been without call for a few years, then there's a process for reviewing that and seeing mm-hmm. why that might be the case. Are they actively searching? And, the, and it's just the case that the Lord hasn't led them anywhere or there hasn't been anything that's opened up for their particular gifts and suitability. But it can be the case. I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head. But if a minister can't find a call for many, many years, it's quite possible that they might be that they might be removed from office or that they might willingly, willingly uh, remove themselves, not under discipline, just under the case that these gifts aren't being used. So that happens. That can happen at least sometimes very similar to what you're describing. It sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, uh, the LCMS actually has a, uh, uh, an official way to recognize organizations such as uh, oh, that's nice. Uh, such as yours, and it's called a uh, an RSO or a registered service organization. Interesting. Uh, one sec, I have to plug in my laptop. Yeah, well, while you're doing that, I <laughs> the the one thing that I've always been wary of is just of 
what I call parachurch organizations that have kind of become quasi church organizations in the sense sure. of there, you know, we, we've, we've seen and can understand how, a, how an organ, a Christian organization kind of, that isn't a church, but it kind of outgrows or outsteps its bounds and begin starts to, to invade the territory that rightly belongs to and the responsibilities that rightly belongs to the church, which is the body of Christ. Parachurch is not the body of Christ. We, we pray that it's that the laborers therein are members of churches and they're actively engaging their, their Christian duties and whatnot in that capacity. But the organization itself is not a church and it shouldn't behave like one. Yeah. So I've always been wary of that with Reformed Forum, never wanting it to be presented as or misunderstood or, or ever thought to be in competition with the church itself. So for me, this is a really nice way where the church, my local church says, no, we recognize that this is important work and we recognize that you're suited and gifted to do that. And we are going to say that we're calling you and we want you to do that specifically. So for me, it, it kind of in, a, in an official capacity in a God honoring way says, no, the church is approving of this and wants me to do it rather than somebody saying, well, I'm going to step down as pastor and I'm going to be this kind of rogue minister in no man's land, kind of serving, <laughs> serving his own organization in whatever, in his own way with no accountability. I would never, I would never want that, you know, so is, but that's, so is that can happen. Is your current congregation going to start the call process for a, a new <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of, yeah. Yeah, we have a search committee. Exactly. We have a a search committee going on and and we have some some really excellent candidates. I've not been part of the committee uh, to this point, just for the sake of allowing some distance. But um, I'm since I'm still on the session and will continue to be serving this church, I'm going to be part of the next round of of uh, teleconference interviews. We've got a few guys and I think all of them are, are tremendous and um, after this last this next round of interviews, I think they'll be bringing somebody in to actually visit. So I suspect, I mean, all, all signs are are pointing towards the fact that we'll we'll probably have somebody ready for our next presbytery meeting, which would be in September. So that's why I'm praying and hoping that that's then we'll have a guy that that's ready to be uh, installed as the as the pastor of this congregation. Even though I'll still be here as the as an evangelist, Absolutely. but the the pastor will very clearly be. You know, the, the pastor, the, we'll look to him, you know, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. going to be in the, the middle of people come to me with, with certain things. I'll say, well, we have a pastor, let's, you know, let him do that. I don't want to yeah, get yeah. in the way of that at all. The other guy is going to be the one folding the bulletins. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, let's, let's get down to brass tacks here. I mean, well, maybe, maybe he'll be wise enough to say, to ask someone else to do it. Who knows? Yeah. And we do, there you we know. Go. Hey, one quick thing, Camden, for our listeners who may not have uh, such an expansive denominational vocabulary. Can yeah. you just give us a quick definition of what a presbyter is and what a Yeah, for is? sure. Yeah, it's 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 different. And I, I must admit, you know, I'm I'm fully convinced of a Presbyterian form of government, but I realize that, that a lot of people are not uh, that within the within the Christian church. And I I grew up a Presbyterian in the mainline Presbyterian church. It was a conservative congregation at that. But we were really kind of antagonistic to our presbytery because presbytery was very liberal and the, the PCUSA denomination is very different from what we wanted to do at the local church level. When I went to college, I attended a bunch of different churches, different anything from Assemblies of God to, you know, liberal Methodist to to uh, 
um, you know, very conservative kind of master seminary uh, type churches. Um, so I got to see a wide range of governments and polities and whatnot. But I really, as I as I came to study, I became more and more convicted of kind of what I grew up with, at least in form. And so, um, you know, we don't need to, I guess, talk about or I don't need to give the case for why I think that's a good government. But uh, a presbyter, um, the, the Presbyterian form of government, in short, has kind of three principles. And um, that's th- that each local congregation is ruled or governed by a plurality of elders. So you have plurality. There's never just one person who's in charge. Um, there's accountability and responsibility among at least two, but often several more, many more um, elders of a congregation. Um, but those, those, uh, those, that plurality should also be understood as a parity that the elders are are equal in terms of their rule. It's not as if one has a um, more of a vote than another, or one is supposed is like uh, you know more important than another. There's an equal share of of responsibility and authority. And then the the probably one of the most important uh, features of Presbyterian government is that there's a connectedness. So we're not congregationalists because we believe that the local churches are connected and accountable to one another through what we sometimes call a regional church or the more common name is a presbytery. And then all the presbyteries are accountable to one another through the denomination, which oftentimes falls along national boundaries or doesn't have to. um, But it just ends up being more convenient if you're within the legal confines of a, of a country, some, and some, you know, transgressing or traversing language barriers can be quite a challenge as well. But you know, we could have some congregations and we have a presbytery that extends into Ontario, uh, Canada, and that's that's good and not an issue. But sometimes the the travel and whatnot, negotiating uh, national boundaries can be a little hard. So that's why we often find that Presbyterian denominations are also within a country. We're not accountable to the civil government or anything like that. Um, we're not establishmentarians either, but the presbytery is that regional church, that connectedness of local churches in an area. And that area could be small if you have a bunch of churches like uh, the PCA, which is a sister denomination of ours. They'll have a Chicago Metro Presbytery. So it's just, you know, Chicagoland. That's that's as big as their presbytery needs because there's needs to be because there's enough churches in the area. But for the OPC, we're spread out and don't have as many congregations. So my presbytery is enormous and we're in the process of of uh, splitting amicably. But uh, we're right now uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, and then some parts of Kansas. And I think we might have a county or two in South Dakota and we are in Nebraska. Wow. So it's insane. Wow. It's, it's enormous. Now, we, we might have 85 ministers total within that whole range but you've and got we only like 50 percent of the louisiana going on. <laughs> that's right <laughs> Man, we're right on the you're you're right along with me because we uh, sadly another presbytery became too small to function and they dissolved and they were absorbed by other presbyteries and when we absorbed that presbytery i i made the the motion that we rename ourselves the presbytery of the louisiana purchase so you, you <laughs> you're right on target you, you'd get along with us really well but that's that, you know, so a presbyter is somebody who is uh, functioning at that presbytery level. So all ministers in our denomination are not members of local churches. The ministers are members of the presbytery. 
And that's where their credentials are are held. That's where they're directly accountable. There's a thing called the original jurisdiction. So we pray it would never happen, but sometimes it does. If discipline needs to come against a minister, that first trial would happen at the presbytery level, not at the local church. Uh, if an elder, a ruling elder was tried or charged with something or a member, any other member of the congregation, the trial would happen at the local church. And then if it was appealed, it would go to presbytery. And then if it was appealed again, it would go to our general assembly. And then what the general assembly says, it's kind of like the Supreme Court. That's it. You know, it could revisit something later on itself, but there's no higher appeal to go in terms of the visible church. Um, so the presbyters are the ministers who are members of that regional church. And then also um, one ruling elder from each congregation who is commissioned to go to that meeting. And then the presbyters all have joint rule. They have all, you know, equal votes at the meeting. Um, and that's how we function. I mean, I guess technically presbyters are all ministers and ruling elders of the regional church. Okay. But at least in terms of how the meeting functions at a specific meeting, it is all the ministers and then one ruling elder from each congregation. Because theologically, I guess, the specific way to put it is that the ruling elders, since they're members of the congregation, they're serving as a commissioner to represent, they're serving in their own, they're, they're not supposed to vote on behalf of what they think their church would vote for. They're, they're voting their own conscience, but they're being commissioned as something of a representative from that congregation. Sure. That's, that's why there's only one per church, no matter if you have a church of 10 people or a church of a thousand people. But if, but every single minister has, um, uh, a vote and a say at Presbytery regardless, even if there's two ministers at the same congregation, for example. So that's what a presbyter is. And then every year we have a general assembly and the presbyteries elect and commission and decide to send a certain number of people to the general assembly. And in our government, it, it, the size depends on the size of the presbytery. So it's kind of like the House of Representatives, right? Sure. And in fact, they got a lot of ideas from Presbyterian government. So if the bigger the presbytery, the more the more commissioner spots they have. Yeah, you know, makes, one of makes sense. You know, one of the like my my church isn't Presbyterian, but I'm sympathetic to it. Uh, if for no other reason than you have so much accountability, yeah. and so much yeah. and so much structure. Uh, where many of our listeners are coming more from a, a modern church background. Maybe they have uh, a history in mega churches and, and we see how much. Uh, and that's this isn't a broad brush, any kind of larger church uh, or celebrity pastor structure uh, yeah. and say that, that they all have rampant abuse. But but it seems like, you know, once or twice a year, at least maybe even three or four, you, you get some big uh big scandal because there's a head mm -hmm. honcho at this church with really no accountability and he's basically yeah. burned his church to the ground. So yeah, yeah I, I can, I'm, I'm definitely really sympathetic to the Presbyterian form. That of stuff can still happen in Presbyterian government and it does, oh, but there, absolutely. but there are processes and, and procedures in it and they're slow and deliberate. So sometimes it take way longer. Oftentimes you have a guy flee from discipline before the process mm -hmm. actually can complete. Yeah which is sad and shameful, but it happens. Um, but you're right. There is accountability. And, um, and you know, it goes both ways. The presbytery can never come in and just say, we're, we're, this is your pastor now. 
Um, right. You know, and I know my my wife grew up in the Methodist church and they have the case where they can have bishops who can remove a pastor and send them somewhere else and establish right. a new pastor. A wise bishop isn't going to do that against the will of the congregation, but it happens and they have the authority to do that. That could never happen in our form of government. And likewise, the local church cannot do things you know, disorderly, or they can't just do things unilaterally without the approval of the presbytery. So they can't just say, well, this guy's going to be the pastor and the presbytery examines him and says, we don't think he's suited for this. The The local church cannot just say, well, we're not going to listen to you, to your your advice and do what we're going to do what we want. So it, it, it's not, we shouldn't think of it as a top-down thing, nor should we think of it as a bottom-up thing, but it, it's really a, a blend of both that that connectedness goes both ways. The Presbytery and the General Assembly have no existence, really. At least the General Assembly doesn't exist without the commissioners that are sent by the Presbyteries. And um, local churches are not, are, 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 they're self-ruling, self-governing, but not independently. So I think, I think it works out pretty well. The thing that I think I'm, I'm envious of here, I mean, <laughs> coming from a denomination that has, uh, that has structure built in. I mean, uh, for sure, what you allude to. I mean, there there are definite parallels in the LCMS. I mean, uh, we have the synodical layer, which is kind yep. of the, the the tippy top of the denomination, and then it goes right. down to districts, which are usually regional. There are some mm-hmm. non-regional districts, and then within those districts are circuits, um, and then within those circuits are churches. Um, there's uh, there's mutual support on every level. Um, we have district conventions every yep. three years, um, alternating every three years. There are synodical conventions. There's one coming up uh, in July, immediately after Summer NAM this year. So I'll be hitting both woohoo on my way down uh, to uh, to go. I want to go to NAM. My... Did you say NAM? Yeah, Summer NAM. Yeah, not not, not like Vietnam, but like, no, like the, yeah. the the music the music thing. Yeah. That's what we're yeah, talking. Candid, no, I, know. I can hook I can hook you up with a badge, man. I'm 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 exhibiting at Summer Nam this year. I got my own booth and everything. Let's so just talk, let me yeah. know. <laughs> I know we're talking uh, effects and guitars too. I just got in theology mode, and then my, my world's crossed. I don't I don't get to talk to a lot of people where my world's crossed. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's I got friends over here and friends over about. there. Yeah, but to find friends <laughs> at the crossroads is quite different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah we'll just definitely get di- there. Disclaimer for our listeners: any uh, any agreements reached between Cody and Camden are not necessarily a offer uh, to extend such agreements uh, to our listening body. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, uh, just just need to throw that out there. Um, but the thing that so we have we have very similar uh, connections and oversight. Yeah, and that's good. Mm-hmm. supervision is a word. Uh, the thing that I I think. I miss when comparing LCMS to uh, to OPC mm-hmm. is your connectedness, your intentional uh, connectedness that, uh, I mean, very much our churches are individual churches. We are congregationalists. We are joined together um, through the district um, to help unify resources and, and things like that, unified yeah. on the Senate, you know, underneath our confession of faith and, and things like that. Um, you know, which makes a lot of things like education and, and certain rostered callable positions and degrees yeah. and everything kind of standardized across the board, which is nice. But one thing that 
we would always love to see more, but rarely happens is this cooperation between congregations. Mm -hmm. um, now, you'll often see that where you have a congregation in, say, Lincoln and a congregation in Milwaukee, and we'll call ourselves sister congregations and we'll support one another. We'll prayerfully, uh, you know, love one another. Um, but what about the church just down the street? As yeah. much as you say they're not competition, you're kind of treating them like competition. And that's an unhealthy uh, kind of mindset to be in, in my opinion, and I think in a lot of other opinions as well. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm digging on this, uh, this OPC sort of interconnected community thing. I'm, yeah, I'm we try to extend that, that to other denominations, too. We have this thing called NAPARC, which you, people might have heard of, and that's just a – it's not a denomination, but it's the North American Presbyterian and Reformed Council. So there are a lot of like-minded denominations that subscribe to either the Westminster uh, Standards or to the Three Forms of Unity, you know, and it's adored Belgic uh, Confession and Heidelberg Catechism. And so it's like the, the OPC, the PCA, the URCNA, mm -hmm. RPCNA, all the, the acronym soup here of Reformed and Presbyterians, at least. And so we have some general agreements. Uh, we have this thing called a comity agreement, which sometimes ends up you know, becoming a comedy agreement, but we, we, we have these agreements where if we're going to plant a church in an area that we have at least kind of had a handshake and agreement and a document that says we're going to notify the other mm -hmm. churches within that area. It doesn't always happen. And that goes both ways, but we, uh, we ought to, we've agreed to do this. And I think we ought to do this. And that's just another way to extend that even beyond our denomination to realize, look, if we're planning to plant a church here in a Chicago suburb and we realize that there's a DCA congregation like 10 miles away, you know, maybe we ought to talk to those people and also talk to their presbytery and say, look, we're looking at doing this. What do you think about this? Do you think this is far enough away? Do you feel like we have a different philosophy of ministry or style that it might be okay if we do this? That's at least how it ought to be, you know, within yeah. the, the Christian church, we think. And yeah. So those are principles we try to live, you know, not, not just treat our government as a kind of like a, an abstract, uh, you know, thought process, but something that actually works out on the ground. And it goes to true too if we get members that are trying to transfer or somebody's fleeing discipline or, or they, they had a blow up at a previous church and decided to leave. We make phone calls and stuff like that. Say, Hey, what's going on with this person? And, you know, try to keep people nice. accountable for the honor of Christ. Awesome. Well, uh, let's take a break here, uh, throw some ads in here and all that good stuff. And then I guess let's just turn our Inquisition segment into uh, kind of a rapid fire for you, Camden. Okay. Uh, Reform Forum and Crisis Center. <laughs> Does God run out of patience? How do we bridge the gap between understanding and application of Scripture? How do I deal with my kids who have left the faith? Does God forget our sin? Join the discussion on all these topics and more on the All 7 Days podcast, where Stan, who also happens to be my dad, and Trevor take your questions and answer them from the perspective of a couple of church members just having a discussion about spiritual matters. Subscribe to the All 7 Days podcast today on Apple, Google, Spotify, Overcast, or your other favorite podcast listening platform and check out all7days.com. And we're back, uh, me, John, and 
Camden Busey from Reformed Forum. So, yeah, let's just hit you with the Inquisition, Camden. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Nobody's ready so let's, for the yeah, Westminster Effects Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here's something I think ironically appropriate for the Inquisition to ask is uh, you often talk about the deeper Protestant conception on Reform Forum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give us give us the uh, boiled down Cliff Notes version of that, because I'm sure that yeah, would go on for a real simple uh, series. Of that's a phrase. Uh, that's a phrase that was advocated by Gerhardus Voss, who's one of our theological heroes. We we devote one episode per month uh, about of Christ the Center to mm-hmm. working through Voss's book, Biblical Theology. So if I were to advocate anything on our programs, I'd say listen to Voss Group with, with uh, Lane Tipton, and um, I think you'll you'll get a good sense of what we're trying to do. But uh, the deeper Protestant conception is a basic idea that when God created human beings, when he created Adam specifically, he created him in his image and placed him in the garden. But even though Adam was created in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, he was created good. Uh, there was nothing wrong with him. There still was a goal awaiting Adam, and he was supposed to move uh, in in faith and in obedience uh, toward that goal. And God said, you know, if you will eat, um, you, you know, you can eat of any tree of the garden, but you, you should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, there was also a reward attached to that. It's not as directly explicitly mentioned by the Lord, but in that in that covenantal arrangement, there was the promise of heightened life, uh, eschatological life, we would even say. His true blessedness and reward where Adam would have moved from a probationary period. You know, he was he was created good with knowledge, righteousness and holiness, but those were not confirmed. They were they were good, but they were not the best. They were not the final consummate um, age to which he he looked. And when Adam failed to attain it, he fell into a state of sin and misery. But our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ now not only redeems us from that state of sin and misery, but also brings us into the blessedness and reward, that heightened life that was originally offered to Adam, but he forfeited it. So what's the deeper Protestant conception? The deeper Protestant conception is that the Lord not only wants to give us things, but he wants to... Uh, have a covenantal fellowship with his people. The deeper Protestant conception is that we were created for union and communion with God, not only in a, in a neutral realm and not only in a good realm, but in the blessed consummate new heavens and the new earth. That's the deeper Protestant conception that there's something more for Adam, even as he was created. Love it. So you just mentioned Voss Group, yeah, um, and that's and that's a once a month episode in Crisis Center, correct? We try to make it once a month. Sometimes we skip a Fair month, enough. but <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> been there, been there. Um, so how did that? How did Voss Group come about? Yeah, because you're well, we, you're going you're going through uh, Voss's. Remind me of the title. It's, it's, yeah, it's, biblical it's theology. theology. Biblical no, biblical theology, theology Old and New Testaments. Yeah, it's a classic book of his. So um, when I was in Westminster uh, Theological Seminary, uh, one of my professors and good friends is Lane Tipton. He teaches there at Westminster. And once a month, we would work through that book at church. We had what was called a Voss group, where it's kind of like a Bible study, but it was a book study that, you know, was on the book is dealing with biblical text. Sure. And so um, 
we used to meet at a wonderful lady's uh, house. Her name was Grace Mullen. She was the archivist at the Westminster Library. And if anyone's ever been around Westminster, they will know Grace Mullen. She's now passed away. She's with the Lord. But she, um, I think she holds, she must hold the record for most mentions in book acknowledgments, just in terms of how helpful <laughs> she was to so many scholars for so many years. But we would meet at her house and discuss this book once a month. And I found it so um, encouraging, and it opened my eyes to a whole, the deeper world in the Bible. Not that it wasn't there. Or I, it, it's just, it felt like the Bible became alive to me in new ways because I started to see how God was speaking to his people throughout history and how he was revealing himself organically and progressively through time. I got started to see the richness and the fullness of all the connections in the Bible, the organic unity where what God was doing in the Old Testament is is not an entirely different thing from what he's doing in the new, but the new Testament in Christ is the, is the full blossoming and flowering of what God was doing in the old Testament with his people. So um, I figured, you know, I was so blessed by this group and now with grace uh, having had passed away, I thought it would be nice. It'd be such a, 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 a benefit uh, to people to be able to, listen to this as we would discuss these matters. And I talked to Lane Tipton and he was happy to continue the Voss group uh, online. So he and I would just get together and do what we were doing in a group setting in person. But now that the Voss group, the, the real physical one had ceased in, in uh, Philadelphia, we just started back over on page one and decided to, to expose this opportunity to whomever wanted to listen on the internet. And it's How been going for four and a half years or so. We're only on page, what, 200 some? <laughs> we only do about four pages a month. It's unbelievable how slow it is, but you'd be surprised because we fill up an hour, no problem. And it's it's so rich. And that's, well, there's, there's of all things we do. Said. Yeah, that's the one there, that people mention the most. For just, there's something to be said for going slow and steady mm -hmm. and just taking a, a deep dive into mm -hmm. any any text, obviously scripture mm -hmm. being, being yeah. primary, but whether it's Voss or, you know, maybe uh, Bavink or Burkhoff or whoever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like, hey, let's dig into this stuff. Yes. Um, and that's that's kind of one of the uh, one of the things that I kind of run into in in this modern church world, if you will, is, mm -hmm. is people often and this isn't to disparage anybody, but they often want, well, give me the practical um, and that's where they want to stay. It's why do I need all this theology? Why do I need to understand maybe the nature of the Trinity um, and, you know, and then working your way down from your doctrine of God? Um, I don't want to say uh, combating <laughs> because I don't want to I don't want to fight with, you know, my spiritual siblings in my church. But mm -hmm. uh, what are what are maybe some tips for combating uh, kind of the anti intellectualism and pragmatism oh, yeah. that's, that's so rampant in the church right now? Well, I think we always have to seek um, the truth in love. And it's, yeah. it's, we have to be very compassionate with people. One of my other theological heroes is a guy named Cornelius Van Til, mm -hmm. but he was so key on saying that whenever we discuss things, especially with unbelievers, but I mean, I think this is true for everyone. We always need to be suaviter and modo and fortiter and re, and that's Latin for roughly, we need to be smooth in our manner, but forceful in the thing or in the substance of what we say. So when we're combating anti-intellectualism, I think it's helpful to try to be compassionate and, and, and reserved. 
but also to speak to people and say, if we truly want to know and understand the practical side of things, we have to understand the foundations upon which these things rest. And when we're trying to study these deep things of God, sometimes to the outsider, it can seem as if we're just getting wrapped around the axle or we're arguing about distinctions that don't ultimately matter. But if we get things wrong, like who God is, or if we get wrong about who man is or what man's responsibility is in the world, I mean, we're we're already so far off that any practical application we're going to be making is going to be misguided. Uh, You know, it might work for a time, I guess, pragmatically by accident, but we need to have the the deep structures correct in, in order to understand and to live these things. So I'd start at a basic yeah. level like that, um, but try to connect the dots uh, for some folks here and there. Because every every time you see it, you did, I, I, I'm no historical theologian, but um, I dabble in it. But you definitely see throughout the church that all of these heresies, they, they end up in uh, not just heterodoxy, but heteropraxy. I mean, <laughs> and that that's just that can be demonstrated. And so if we if we get the theology wrong then we don't have a we don't have a basis upon which to to live really yeah yeah i i really like the uh the statement that you have on your about us section mm. on reformedforum.org where john mm. being proud i actually did a little bit of show prep this week <laughs> <laughs> it says uh while we offer theological resources the- theology must be more than an intellectual exercise god's yeah. word and its good and necessary consequences have everything to do with our day-to-day lives. Proper yeah. theology is intensely practical. Like, yeah. I, I love that. Like, it, it does work itself out. In, it needs into, to. Into how you, yeah, it should yeah. at least, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's that's kind of what I what I run into a lot where, um, you know, both of, both of you, Camden and John, being guitarists, we understand mm-hmm. that a lot of musicians tend to be heavily right-brained, <laughs> you know, the creative flaky types where, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle where I'm, I'm really analytical, but also, you know, playing guitar and all that stuff. There might be an example there for me. Cause I've, I've kind of hit, hit a spot in my own guitar playing where I was not formally trained. My, my uncle was a guitar teacher, Same here, but I never, I mean, he'd only show me a trick or two like at Thanksgiving yeah. or something. Right. And so I've gotten to the point where I can do what I do, you know, and I can play blues and rock and stuff like that. And I can get around the minor pentatonic scale pretty well, but it's like, I love jazz and I know a bunch of jazz uh, chord shapes and whatnot, but when it comes to improv improvisation or expressing myself, I could sit here and scat or, or, or I could make, I could, you know, sing out a jazz guitar solo for you that I couldn't play. And the, yeah, the, yeah. the reason for that is I have it. I could express myself, but I don't have the technical capacity or the training. And I haven't practiced my scales and modes in a way where I could express that. Well, why is that? Well, I, I don't have the foundation for it. And, you know, it's, yeah. I guess in an analogous way, trying to do practical application without, without the foundations, you're, 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 in, you're inherently limited, you know? And, and I yeah. think, I think that catechism and properly understood and doctrinal studies and, and, and um, reading and, and meditating upon these things help us to live in a deeper and fuller and richer way. You're, you're sending me on a guilt trip to go learn guitar <laughs> theory. Now <laughs> I'm a, I cut my teeth on uh, on mid two thousands pop punk. 
stuff yeah. like Blink-182 and MXPX, Reliant K. and But yeah. now, you know, like I'm into Power a lot of raid. more technical metal stuff, and it's just like – Tell no me way. about it. No I just way. watched a bunch of uh, Mark Letiri videos. I've been getting into him a lot. He's a guitarist for Snarky Puppy, but that guy's phenomenal. But he'll just yeah, sit there yeah. and talk. He, I watched some video on YouTube about his five favorite chord progressions. And he's just talking about this. And he's like, well, you could do it this way or voice it this way. And, and he just plays and it's great music. But then he d- dis- dissects it and talks about all the arrangements and scales. And he's, mm. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know any of this. <laughs> it just makes me feel yeah. bad about myself as you a know, player. But I want to go back and a, learn. We've got a, a guitarist at church um, who whenever whenever we play together. Uh, so he has all the theory in his mind. And he's he's just a bowl of noodles on stage. He's <laughs> all over the place. I mean, often, often not serving the song particularly well. Yeah. It, it's there to the point where our, our former worship leader and I just send pictures of bowls of noodles to one another when we're talking about this particular individual. <laughs> um, I think this past week he was, he was either low main or ramen. I don't quite remember, but we're on Asian kick at the moment. Is it ramen cooked or not? Or is it like the night, the five cent ramen pack? That's uh you can see some structure in there, but the, <laughs> before it's in the water. <laughs> it's that five. It's that five-year-old bag of ramen that was like yeah, in the right. back of the cabinet. <laughs> crack, crackers and jars of peanut butter have been shoved against for years. And, right. Well, so whenever we're playing together, he'll turn to me and be like, "Hey, for this part, you could do this, and uh, you could invert the that over the thing, and then play this as mm-hmm. the root instead, or you could go up and play in this mode." On the, and I'm like, "Dude, I'm I'm just gonna play." And and it's going to be good. And I promise you it's going to be good because like Cody, I cut my teeth on uh, early uh, 90s uh, pop punk, uh, mostly Green Day and, uh, and things like that. And Billy Joe Armstrong would absolutely rail me if he heard me call him pop punk. But I did it. Yeah. So there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I completely I completely get it. I don't I, I don't think any of us, uh, at least at the table here, the virtual table, have had formal training. Yeah, we just uh, we just do it. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, for blues, I don't necessarily need to. Exactly. Uh, I would do better. But and, and a lot of it is feeling. And, and that was the whole idea with punk. You know, it's more it's not about the technicality of it. I mean, it's, it's expressing the, the your feeling in a real yeah. raw way. Mm-hmm. But. You know, I at least the music that I've been listening to a lot lately, and and I'm and for the last several years, and I'm very interested in doing myself. I've I've hit a wall. There's just it. it yeah. I'm not able yeah. to do it. It's not because my fingers are incapable of doing these things. It's I I don't have the the rhythms and the patterns ingrained within me that come with a certain yeah. type of practice, and that takes a lot of work and and discipline, just like the Christian life, right? We're not always excited to sit down and read our Bibles, but should we? Absolutely, you know? Mm-hmm. And then God works in and through that, and we we hope and pray that, that we would be changed as a result so that we would find the joy in the practice and in the, the execution, not just in the end goal, because we're communing with the Lord as we do these things. So there's a little bit of a, you know, uh, there's a little bit of analogy, I think, in the guitar plan that's helpful yeah, for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So one one more theological question. Yeah, and we'll move we'll move quickly into guitar stuff. Okay. And uh, and we'll actually end up reversing our order for, hey, what do we do in church this week? Um, so your your doctrinal standards at Reformed Forum, uh-huh. uh, you, you require uh, 
and correct me if I'm wrong, you require uh, basically your your board members to uh, subscribe to either the three forms of unity or the West right. standards. Effe- right? Effectively, right? Yeah. So, uh, what's the uh, for our listeners? What's what's the big deal about being confessional? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how how does being how does being confessional not uh, violate something like sola scriptura? Right. Well, that's a good good question. I'd, I'd advocate uh, for folks to read um, a Carl Truman's book, The Creedal Imperative. If anybody hasn't read that, um, it, we did an interview on that several years ago. It's a really good book um, and an introduction onto this notion of of a creed and a confession and why it can be useful. But it's a good way that you put it that, like that. I mean, we do hold to sola scriptura. That's our that's our only authority um, in doctrine and life. It's our only standard. The ultimate standard is God's own word, because God himself is is the standard of, of truth and what's right and wrong and what he's commanded us to, to do and, and how to live. Um, but at the same time, we have a lot of folks in the Christian church, no doubt, that that hold to or express sola scriptura, but have different interpretations of scripture. I think of all my dear Baptist friends this that, um, <laughs> yeah, and a lot, I have a lot of good, yeah. a lot of yeah. wonderful yeah. Baptist friends, but uh, to be honest, um, you know, we could both love our Bible. We could both hold the sola scriptura, but it would just not be functional for us to, to be in the same church because when yeah. it comes to yeah. the point of somebody needing to be baptized, we have a pretty fundamental disagreement there. Sure. So, the, yeah, I, I mean, this is all pretty common sense, but sometimes Camden, people Camden, think of it this way. Yeah. Camden, y'all can just come my way. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got you, fam. Yeah. Bring your babies. I'm with you. I'm with you there. I got you. At the same time, you know, everyone has a creed. Or at least everyone has a confession. It's, it's a matter yeah. of whether they're yeah. willing to write it down and share it with you. Because even folks that like, what is it, the Calvary Chapel? You know, they say that the, we're yep. we're in confessional weed. We're opposed to cal to to confessionalism. But if you came there as a Calvinist and said this, this is my view of this, they would say, no, you you can't have that view here. You yeah, know? yeah. And so it, we 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 try to be open and honest with our with our theology and with our system of doctrine. And we call them secondary standards for a reason. They're always subservient entirely unto Scripture. Right. But they also express and we we believe we have gathered together as a group of Christians and we have agreed with one another you know, in our churches to say we believe these standards, whether they're the Westminster standards or three forms of unity. We believe these standards most consistently express the system of doctrine that is in Scripture. Right. And and but if it comes to the to the point where we can determine that portions of the confession or catechisms are not in accord with scripture or that they're saying more than what's in scripture, then we'll revise them. And we've done that in the history of the Presbyterian church at times, the American standards Mm -hmm. are quite different from what uh, on, especially in terms of the the relationship between the church and government, um, the church and state, those got revised quite a bit uh, when the standards were adopted in the United States, even before it was the United States. So um, our view here is not Before to say that, the <laughs> right, the Amer- in, the, in North America. So we don't, we view them as secondary standards. And then our book of church order is a tertiary standard. So that's like the lowest on the, the totem pole. <laughs> I guess uh, yeah. individual church constitutions would be the fourth level, I suppose. But um, that our view is not to say that uh, the confessions are an equal 
standard or that the traditions uh, sits equally with the word like the Catholic Church might think of church tradition. But it is to say that um, we voluntarily agree and believe that these standards are most consistent and faithful to expressing that system of doctrine, which is in Scripture. And so as an organization, Reformed Forum requires that all of our, our board members be members in good standing of NAPARC churches. And those churches either subscribe to one or the other. This was actually kind of a, you're getting a window into a little of the debate within Reform Forum. And there was a discussion on should we require subscription or should we require membership of a church that would require Mm. subscription? And we fell down on the side of we, we are not requiring subscription directly because since we're not a church, what capacity do we have to enforce or require People, we you know, we could say you have to subscribe, but what measures or mechanisms do we have for enforcing that or for you know disciplining a case where somebody is found to be outside of the bounds? So we wanted to expressly link our our organizational governance with the government of the church, and so we we quite simply kind of streamlined it and says and say that all board members need to be members in good standing of a Napark church. And at least a majority of those need to be ordained officers, either ruling elders or uh, mm-hmm. deacons or ministers. So, yeah, yeah. So and we don't see it as competition to Sola Scriptura, but but trying to be faithful to it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And definitely and I guess, relate to that with uh, the Lutheran confessions. The of course, yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So on and so forth. Very and, similar, and me, yeah. Me being it's a, a confessional church. Praise be to God for that. I think I hope all, I wished all of our churches were confessional. May you know? God yeah, be glorified yeah. in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And me, me being a more of a 1689 guy, and this will transition us to uh, more of the guitar stuff. You know, people find out I'm a yeah. I'm a Credo Baptist, and they're like. They're like, why do you call it Westminster effects? And I'm like, because it sounds better than 1689 effects. Savoy <laughs> effects. What talking about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, but you know, like I have uh, you know every every boutique uh, effects builder, Camden, you'll you'll appreciate this, even though you'll mm. disagree. Um, you know, everybody has to have a uh, a tube screamer variant. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's just right. the thing. I've got a tube screamer yeah. on my board right now. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Uh, you there's know, a million everyone, of them out everyone there. Has one. Everyone has mm-hmm. one. Mine's called the 1689, and and the dumb pun that I have on the website is that the 1689 takes something great and makes it better. So. Right. <laughs> no, I hear you. I, so, I read that, and I was like, I I, yeah. I tipped the hat. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I appreciated so, the uh, joke. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so let's talk guitar real quick. Uh, what's yeah. what's your rig looking like right now? Yeah, well, I got. I'm. I'm hoping to make some improvements, and I've been doing a deep dive for two reasons. I I'd like to get into the next chapter of my own playing, but I'm also uh, yeah uh, raising my own band. I have three boys, so uh, one of them plays the keyboards and and piano. The other one wants. He's saving up for a guitar. He's only six now, but he he's been to the guitar store and he he's got the mentality. I thought he would be a drummer, given his uh, personality, <laughs> but. And then yeah. the youngest one, who knows what he's going to be, but uh, he might be my drummer. Um, <laughs> you got to find that right personality to drum. But um, in my rig, right. I hope to expand it. But right now, I, uh, my my main electric is a is a 50th anniversary American Deluxe Stratocaster. When my grandmother passed away, she left us some 
a little bit of money. I had just enough to, to go buy that guitar. So that's a little sentimental value to me, but it happened to be 2004, the 50th anniversary year. So I have this, mm. you know, special edition that's got mm-hmm. some gold hardware. It's a little flashier than I would have bought if it wasn't that year, but yeah. I love that guitar. Uh, I'm a big Fender guy. I, I love the feel of those necks, which, which, uh, may be a, a hindrance to me in my next guitar purchase, but I'll give you a rundown of my rig. And I'll tell you kind of how I might want to change it real fast. I'll do that in about a minute here. So I, I play the, the Fender Strat is my electric. I have a Taylor 414 CE for my acoustic, which I love. I was playing that yesterday. Um, I For a long time, I've play, been playing that through a Line 6 Pod XT Live. It's that floorboard that came out about oh, yeah. Yeah. 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And it, it's good for me. It's getting old, and I want something different. I want to get to a real amp. Um, I want to, I'm kind of moving away from the modeling. But this sounds good, usually. I play it through a PV Classic 5050 tube amp, which is a tube power amp. I'm realizing, you know, early on, I got the tube power amp thinking it was going to give me that tube sound, but I realized most of that tone shaping happens in the preamp. So I'm questioning yeah. how much of the real, it, it still sounds nice at high volumes, but it's still, I don't think I'm getting all the real warmth that I want to get, which is why I want to move back to a tube. Pre- yeah, exactly. Yeah. That goes through a line six, two by 12 cab that has some Celestian, some pretty standard. I think they're greenbacks, but they're not like vintage or anything. They're 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 just sure. two by twelve speakers. That thing can get way louder than I need it to get to. It's a hundred watts tube power, two two by twelve. It's it, it yeah. I, I'm most of the yeah, time got that sure. thing cranked down at home. On the board, I've got my main overdrive. My main drive is a Ibanez TS nine DX turbo tube screamer, and I pretty oh, much yeah. never I pretty much never change the knobs. I just kind of have it set on the normal tube screamer sound and it gives me that fat i don't don't know if it's fat but it's that mid-range you know it does the tube screamer thing yeah and then uh i've got an mxr phase 90 i i don't play that much anymore i wish i had some more controls over it because i don't have like depth or anything it's basically just the rate but it it does what it does and it's cool so there's a couple times i'll i'll have that thing going my latest um my latest pedals an electro harmonic super pulsar tremolo Okay. And that thing is yeah. awesome. And it does so many weird sounds. And it has some, um, um, I think it's got MIDI. It's have MIDI capability. At least it, it, it's got a, it's got a tap tempo. I want to kind of looking to get, I want to improve my board and get like a, a MIDI thing that can generate tap tempo. So then I can goof around partly because my son is into keyboards and I want to get him a MIDI controller so he can goof around with it. And I want to plug into oh, yeah. that. So if he, if he's messing with, uh, tempo it could control my tremolo for me i've got the exact recommendation for you there oh tell me <laughs> um, so a lot of people will say oh disaster area designs that's where yes. you go to and i say no i say go with the sala products how do you uh, spell that oh never mind s-e-l-a-h uh oh yeah because it's also my daughter's name yeah Salah, right um from the psalms yeah exactly um, they have uh, they have several products, but they are the two that I'm thinking of are the Quartz Timer and the Quartz Timer V2. So the big difference there, the uh, the Quartz Timer uh, is actually in, indispensable for me. It's a, a standard set list, standard presets. You set your tempo, and it'll send that out via MIDI network. And so that yeah. runs into my my DD500 and, and whatnot. Can you but hook that also, to like Ableton if you've got the keyboardist yeah, or a set list in Ableton? Has, yeah. Yep, it has MIDI in and it'll just pass yeah, it right okay. through. But here's the kicker. It also has a mechanical tap generator in it. 
There's mm. two relays, and it has four outputs. So three of the outputs will go on uh, quarter note, whatever whatever the template yeah. is, it'll go to the quarter note of that. The fourth output has a, has its own relay, and you can subdivide it into whatever you want, whether it be uh, eighth, dotted, sixteenth, yeah. um, and it'll do that mechanically. So uh, effects that require a mechanical tap-in, uh, like uh, the yeah. Luther tap tremolo from Westminster, which is yeah. also on my board, um, <laughs> I can program down to the exact tempo, and it'll send that out via a mechanical tap signal into so that will it, pedal, and so everything is wow. together. Will and it receive a MIDI control, a MIDI signal, and turn it into a mechanical yes, signal? Yes, it will. Oh, that's yes, cool. Now, I didn't even, I didn't even know that that, that, that yeah. it did all that. That's incredible, now, actually. That's just the version 1, which isn't yeah. in production anymore, but you can get them for pretty cheap. Version 2 does all of that, plus it has a much larger LED screen. It's, com it's computer uh, configurable, so you can change everything up with the computer, and you can use it to send uh, MIDI signals to all your other devices, even if it's not tempo-based. So you can send yeah. MIDI program changes. Yeah, right. So you could take from this one pedal, and you could say, hey, I want uh, I want to use my Pod XT Live, for instance, yeah. and I want, to, I want to set it to, um, you know, the little champ uh, you know, a little Champ 100 or whatever mm -hmm. small little Fender amp they have. And uh, it'll send tap tempo to everything that you want. It'll also send that MIDI program change to your to your XT Live and change that uh, to that preset. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, yes. it's it's immense and and way too much for my, my mind to handle. Uh, That's so, really cool. Uh, I'm a V1 guy, but, uh, I mean, Disaster Area Designs makes great stuff, but uh, for, for hybrid boards... Yeah, that's and in fact, we'll just use that as my recommendation for the week because it, it just works. Yeah, I'm going to look into getting one of those. That's really handy. Um, yeah, especially when I start goofing with the computer and trying to get that into my board, uh, at least having compatibility with it, that'd be really handy. That's pretty yeah. much what I've got. I mean, I've I've got a Boss DD5 I permanently borrowed from my brother. But uh, I don't. I, I typically use the. Uh, I like that delay, but I use I use the delay on the board. But I'm I'm looking to replace that Pod XT Live, not because it doesn't do what it does. It it served me well for many years. But I want. I either get a a tube combo like a like a Fender uh, Hot Rod Deluxe or Blues Deluxe, or yeah, you can't in the meantime, the uh, Victory Amps do, does this really cool kind of preamp and a pedal thing. Mm. Where they they have mm -hmm. the uh, the Duchess or the um, I'm looking at the Countess. I'm wondering which is which, like because I've seen demos of both, but they're basically you can get a straight um, amp head, preamp head, uh, or you can buy this this pedal unit which actually has tubes in it. It's a legit pedal, so I already have a tube power amp. So I'm thinking yeah, could just, I could just, just put that on my the board. Effects return exactly. Yeah. Well, for me, I don't even have an effects return. It's just a okay. tube power amp. So I could just run it oh, sure. straight into the head. I could run it at the end of my effects uh, loop into the power amp. And then I could use the, they have a four cable method as well. Mm -hmm. So I could use the pod XT live and this amp in a pedal uh, both, not at the same time, but you could use them where when the, when the uh, victory amp thing is on, it would bypass the pod XT amp modeling. And when it's off, it would go through it. So I could just keep using my rig with the addition of a tube preamp. I think that might be the way for me to go. 
yeah. for now. And if and if nothing else, victory stuff just looks awesome. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It just looks cool. So they do cool even, things. Even, even if even if somebody just has no idea what they're doing, they plop a victory amp on stage. You know, it's, you're gonna Weird. get points, right? <laughs> <laughs> So let's do uh let's do our uh, our church section here. Uh, yeah, Cameron, why don't, why don't you do us the honors and and start us out real quick, and we'll take a couple minutes and and yeah, what we did recently yesterday, we uh, I preached twice. We do a morning and evening service, mm-hmm. and uh, they're they're different. Um, so in the morning I was preaching uh, through my series. We also do lectio continua, so we do as as a lot of churches in the Reformed tradition do kind of verse by verse, passage by passage through a book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we've been working second Thessalonians and second Samuel lately. So this in the morning I did second Sam or second Thessalonians three, six through 15, which is Paul's um, exhortation to the church, especially with a focus towards those who are idle and are refusing to work. So basically no work, no eat. Uh, so I, I tried to develop that um, redemptive historically looking at all of scripture and, and looking at uh, the God's command to work and why we work and the goodness of work in the evening. Uh, it was second Samuel five, 17 to 25, which is right after David was anointed King over all of Israel. Uh, the Philistines came up to, to meet him. Uh, uh, they wanted to find him and attack him and kill him. Uh, but David inquired of the Lord twice and and the Philistines were defeated. So we tried to develop themes of, um, living a faithful and prayerful life, having that posture of faith where we inquire of the Lord, not just once or not just in the big moments, but living a life of faithful dependence on the Lord and submission to his word and then acting on his word, you know? So uh, those are the two sermons um, in the morning and evening. And and our services are pretty, pretty uh, stripped down. And uh, we had uh, four hymns, uh, with a piano accompanist on on both. Sometimes we'll have some other instrumentation, but it's pretty it's pretty bare bones and and uh, seems to work well for us here. Plus, it's such a small congregation. Having a having a bigger a setup would would be a little bit overkill for our size. Yeah, yeah. There, hey, there's no sh- absolutely no shame in that. I'm not. Well, I don't find shame in it. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Well, no, you get what I mean, though. Is, yeah, I know what you. Not, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So, That's standard uh, fare usually in the OPC. Sometimes somebody right, will, you know, right. break out a guitar and stuff. And I just don't like playing guitar. Um, and the, you know, if I'm preaching or leading the service, like plus, plus I usually yeah. wear a suit when I'm preaching. So it's like moving <laughs> like a guitar in a suit ain't going to work for me. There's nothing more awkward than playing guitar in a suit. It's yeah. just, like, it just constricts you like trying to pull off the Brian Setzer thing. I mean, then maybe, you know, but <laughs> just never works yeah yeah so we we actually did run uh at my church we actually ran into uh the pastor filling in on an instrument uh bradley our other co-host uh uh actually played keys so uh and and it's it's funny we we always we always make fun of him a little bit whenever he plays anything he plays so hard so everybody like we run in-ear monitors it's nothing immaculate but we do run in-ear monitors everybody has to turn down the piano whenever he plays piano really (laughs) yeah if he's playing bass like he'll he'll clip it out at the board and that has to get turned down (laughs) really wow we need more headroom for this guy yeah a little more headroom for bradley but uh (laughs) but i played um 
I played bass, which for me is kind of half of a week off. You know, I'm just reading a chord sheet, but it was it was more fun because uh, my wife and I just flew in Saturday evening. I uh, got in at, a, at about midnight where we went on an early anniversary trip to Denver, which which was great. But it was also a train wreck. She sprained her ankle hiking and oh, no. all that kind of, all that kind of good stuff. But we, we have good stories from it. And uh, and in terms of the sermon, uh, we we have been going verse by verse through Romans and end up spending yeah. the last two months in Romans eight, which. You know, yeah. Romans 8 is, you know, basically every Reformed guy's favorite chapter of the Bible, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so that was, yeah, exactly. So that was great. <laughs> but for the for the summer, uh, we're hitting pause on that. And we've, we've been doing a, a series uh, the last two weeks, I believe it is. Uh, and I think we're going to do a couple more uh, where we're expanding our, our eldership at Resurrection Church, where uh, we did have three. And uh, one of them was semi-retired, and he went ahead and fully retired uh, to minister to his to his wife uh, in their in their uh, more elderly years, where she has some health issues and that kind of stuff. So we're down to two, and they're like, "Well, we want to expand this." And uh, so here's what we're looking at. And so yesterday was the qualifications of an elder, uh, rooted mostly in uh, Titus one. And yeah, first sure. Timothy two rather so, so and that was that was actually a a, a tag team sermon. So that was pretty mm. cool. Where, where both of our pastors preached, where they basically said, "Well, here's this point, and I'm going to lay this out," and then the other one would say, "And here's this other point, and I'm going to lay this out." So mm-hmm. uh, that was that was interesting, and I think very beneficial for everybody in the church to see. You know, they're not they're not doing this haphazardly. Uh, they're taking mm. it taking it really seriously and. I think it's going to benefit us once once we nail down those new elders. Whenever that happens, Great. did you, uh, Cody? Um, not to make light of it, but you mentioned playing bass. It is kind of a little bit of a time off for you. Did you see that yeah. Babylon B story of the church bass? If you Which search one? a, well, there was one. It says there's a new two string five fret design uh, introduced for, ba- for church basses. It says I do the bass a little more than that. I, I I I hope you do, but I'm just saying this is a hilarious story. It says the bass just has the E and A strings in the first five frets. All you need to play every worship song ever written. It also has decorative knobs so you can pretend to adjust settings and turn up your volume, even though the church bass is turned off in the house anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta see it. The picture of it's oh, hilarious. That's, that's Just do awesome. a search. The church base. Yeah, and that is that is entirely <laughs> accurate too. John, what'd you do in church? Uh, let's see. So in uh, week two, post uh, fifteen year tenure worship leader Exodus, um, our uh, uh, another one of our members, Terry, uh, led the band. Did a great job. I was on soundboard uh, for this day. Our main front of house engineer. I was out on a fishing trip with the scouts, uh, kind of mm. a Father's Day thing, I, I imagine. And uh, come on, so man. I, yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I kind of, I, I, <laughs> tis the Lord's day, um, but you know, hashtag Boy Scouts, whatever. Um, so I enjoy running the board on uh, on occasion. I'm kind of the uh, the gear and musical equipment steward of the uh, uh, of the church. And so getting uh, getting hands on that always keeps me the keeps me up to date, helps me kind of hone my craft, you know, and, and understand what what needs are there. So that was 
that was nice. We uh, hooked up our Roland R1000 multi-track recorder uh, last week, so we can record oh, up wow. to 48, 48 tracks direct from cool. the mixing console over React oh, in uh, full 48 kilohertz resolution. I mean, so... Um, we can take that stuff uh, if it's. I mean, we can polish it. We can live album it. We could yeah. uh, even use it for virtual sound checks or to uh, help aid musician development. Uh, maybe a reality check if necessary. Thankfully, it's not necessary right now. <laughs> but uh, so that was cool. Um, How does that work far- with aux channels? Can you make uh, like infinite? Is it digital where you can make like an infinite amount of aux mixes or something, auxiliary mixes or something, sub mixes? So, so with the Roland, uh, the Roland V mixing system that we use, uh, yeah, it's it's all based upon pretty much the capacity of, of the two React uh, network connections that come in. Okay, and there's this concept in most digital consoles. I think uh, Midas and Behringer has AES fifty, and um, Allen and Heath has their own, and and whatnot. Uh, but essentially, you've got um, you've got forty eight. Um, true ins and you've uh-huh. got like 16, well, technically 48 true outs um, uh-huh. of, of the board. And of those outs, there can be multiple aux sends. And there's internal routing as well. And so things I see. have to. So we don't have to run our effects loop, you know, our virtual effects loop that is through the multi-track recorder. It can just come back out. Uh, if we do a virtual sound check or something. Um, wow. So with certain aux ins, yeah, but we are limited by that 48 by 48 sort of. It's sort still of a lot of Cause that's, flexibility. That's the, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just the limitation yeah. on the bandwidth. And mm-hmm. uh, Roland made a really powerful kind of setup for it. It is probably the most difficult to navigate in the industry, uh, which kind of bums us out. But um, we've had this recorder sitting around for years, and it's good to finally put some use behind it. Um, other than that, as far as the service goes, uh, 211, which is the name of our service, taken from Axe 211, uh, for our listeners who, who haven't heard that, and, and for you, Camden, mm-hmm. um, in that, uh, and everyone heard the word of God being preached in their own language. Uh, that's not a, a speaking in tongues reference. We don't just go around babbling everywhere. It's uh, uh, the original intention was to make uh, scriptural concepts, whether um, easily graspable or difficult to grasp, accessible. And so that that was kind of the original intention like 15 years ago when this ship first sailed. Um, So in that, we often do thematic series and thematic sermons. And this one was on Father's Day. Didn't spend too much time on the whole Father's Day. Oh, our dads are great piece. Um, did some media pieces where they did like a, a dad jokes uh, you know, session, like those YouTube videos with our pastoral staff. And so that was uh, that was pretty uh, that was pretty funny. Um, but as you might imagine, the the message was uh, how our earthly fathers are to reflect our heavenly fathers. How even though our earthly fathers don't live up, our heavenly father is steadfast and he is good. Um, and so good material there. The uh, the unique part is is uh, outside of our building um, on the way in, uh, we had a few volunteers frying up bacon all morning and every day. <laughs> Not kidding, and it was legit, like quarter inch thick. Like oh wow! Bacon. I'm not sure where they got it, but it was fantastic. They were frying up bacon for three hours. Every dad that would come in or come out would get a, uh, at minimum a slice of bacon. <laughs> um, just, just, uh, uh, just a you know our own way of celebrating dads. You know, I think Mother's Mother's Day had like a photo session. You know, they had like a, a photo op with a backdrop and, and whatnot. 
Uh, and, but dad's got like, you know, smoked and cured pork, which I think is by far the uh, <laughs> better than the a better selfie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was a uh, it was a good week. Um, you know, after church, uh, rested for a little bit and uh, I decided to get off my butt and uh, install a new floor in our bathroom because that's apparently uh, <laughs> what I wanted to do on Father's Day. So <laughs> there we wow. go. Well, Camden, thanks for mm-hmm. uh, thanks for coming on the Doxology podcast. Uh, you know, I, I've really been blessed by uh, Reform Forum and Crisis Center, so mm. it's good to nerd out on theology and and guitar stuff at the yeah. same time with you. When uh, whenever when I heard uh, your interview on the on the Bar podcast with Dwayne, yeah. and Dwayne du- right, right. lives like ten minutes from me, I was like. I hit him up. I was like, give me Camden Busey's email address so I can get him on. <laughs> That's fun. Because I, like, I didn't know that you played guitar, and I was just like, yeah. oh, man, another kindred spirit, I yeah. suppose. So, uh, and, and we always enjoy having uh, the OPC guys on, even though Bradley has missed both of them. We had uh, Everett Hennis on several months ago. Oh, man, I know Everett. And, uh, yeah, he's a friend. Yeah, so, Everett's yeah, so wild. Yeah. yeah, so he, he thrashed <laughs> He's a wild us. man. He, he thrashed us regarding uh regarding Advent and uh he got he got pretty pumped. And uh that was that was a fun episode. We had a lot of fun with that. And yeah. uh <laughs> but yeah, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is really fun. It's encouraging. So it's it's good to make new connections and make new friends in, in Christ Church. So I want to encourage Absolutely. you brothers in your in your ministries and also in your podcast here, your labors. Keep it up. It's great. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very you. much, mm-hmm. Camden. Yeah, so follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you hit that share button and subscribe on iTunes. Make sure you leave a five-star review. As always, we just want the five stars, even if you don't <laughs> like us. So we don't care if it's honest. Just give us five stars, which has happened. Camden, that has actually happened before. Uh, they actually took us up on that. So also make sure... You stock up on pedals at WestminsterEffects.com. We will leave you uh, with a cut off of Chon's new album and Westminster Effects artist Mario Camarena playing on that one. Speaking of not being able to play things, that's pretty much everything that Chon does. So here we go. (laughs) Thanks for listening.